Welcome to the Static Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony T, and this is episode 102. Welcome back on this Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. Hope you are well. I'm doing all right. Summer is winding down. And before you know it, it'll be back to school time. But it might not be back to school time if you play the Mega Millions or if your parents play the Mega Millions in New York. The jackpot is up to $1.5 billion. The next drawing is tonight. I picked up a ticket. Uh, You got to be in it to win it. And recently there's a pattern. Now, everybody's like, oh, it's rigged, it's rigged. And I think it is rigged, of course. It's a possibility it's rigged. It's gambling. So anything with gambling has some rigging to it. But uh, I believe that this is such a big jackpot, and I think they rig it to where the winner is in the state with least tax revenue. So like the last large jackpot was in California, and I'm figuring hoping that the next large jackpot is in New York. Red states don't win this stuff because they don't have uh, financial issues. So we'll see. And speaking of financial issues, last week, Fitch, the credit ratings company, downgraded the U.S. credit rating to AA plus, I believe. And today, Moody's cuts credit ratings for banks amid commercial real estate pressure from the New York Post. Americans may have a tougher time obtaining loans after Moody cut the credit rating of several small to mid-sized banks and said it may downgrade some of the nation's biggest lenders. The agency warned that the credit strength of the banking sector, which was thrown into crisis by the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank earlier this year, will likely be tested by weaker profitability caused by high interest rates, declines in office demand as a result of remote work, and depressed commercial real estate av- uh, revenue values. And just to take a quick look right now, Dow Jones is down 250, NASDAQ 192, S&P down 35 points. So it's having an impact. This is definitely going to have an impact on the economy. It's not good. And uh, it's not looking good for Joe Biden with what's going on. And there's another indicator with a story here that the economy isn't doing too hot uh, from the Post also. Longtime Goldman executive Jeff Curry joins exodus of bankers from firm in last few months. Another Goldman Sachs executive is headed out the door of 200 West Street in what has become an exodus of senior management from the investment giant over the last few months. Jeff Curry, who served global head of commodities research, is leaving after 27 years, according to a memo sent to employees Monday. The departure by the man who coined the phrase revenge of the old economy in 2004 to describe how commodity prices would spike after decades of underinvestment is the latest to blow to Goldman boss David Solomon. The bank has yet to announce a new head of commodities. For now, the division will be led by Dan Striven, Sam Dart, and Nick Snowden, whom helm oil, natural gas, metals research respectively, the memo says. Last two weeks, two top deputies in wealth management division announced they were leaving. Goldman's chief investment officer of assets and wealth management, Julian Salisbury, and co-head of the bank, Asia-Pacific Private Investment Unit, Takahashi Murata. Now, if Goldman Sachs was to fold up and close its door, that would be, that would cause mass panic and definitely this would go in the tanker because this economy is propped up. Uh, There is so much debt, so much debt we have. We printed so much money in the last couple of few years that it's insane and 
that is unsustainable. It's just naturally unsustainable. You can't have that much debt and just continue and think things are going to go well. All right. So moving on and the city is just crazy. There's people fighting violence, uh, not to mention all the immigrants coming in. They're just building 10 cities now in parks for these people. The schools are going to be overrun with immigrant kids. And on top of that, there's no money. So now I, I ask myself, why are people so nuts? Why do, are people doing ridiculous things to each other? It's like loony world out there. Uh, maybe it's close to the end. I don't know. But but people are just, you know, mental out there. And, you know, we depend on, you know, people who know stuff like psychiatrists and stuff and therapists. Like what, what what's going on with this stuff? So during these crazy times, you wonder what are therapists and psychiatrists up to, right? Must be very busy, a lot of clients. Um, so out of the New York Post again, an uh, article by Todd Farley, inside the Upper West Side cult that told members to sleep with anyone who asked. Saul Newton wanted to be a good father, so he granted his grown daughter Esther's wish. When her female friends came to his office for therapy, he promised he would no longer ask those women for oral sex. He wasn't thrilled with his concessions, though, as Alexander still writes in his new The Sullivanians, Sex Psychotherapy and the Wildlife of, of an American Commune. I think you are being very bourgeois, bourgeois, he told Esther regarding her request, but if that's what you want, then okay. The father and daughter would nonchalantly discuss oral sex and therapy happened only because Saul Newton was a co-founder of the Sullivan Institute for Research in Psycho and Psychoanalysis, an urban commune existing on Manhattan's Upper West Side from 1950s through the 90s. The Sullivanians were a community made up entirely of therapists and their patients, a group that espoused the value of analysis, communal living, and non-monogamy. At the original headquarters on West 77th Street, the therapists' offices were downstairs while both therapists and patients lived often together on the floors above. The Sullivanians eventually came to own a number of buildings on the Upper West Side, which at the time could be bought on the cheap. The one at 100th Street and Broadway eventually housed more than 100 of the group's 400 to 500 mostly white, educated professional members. Eventually, there were homes in the Hamptons too, as well as a theater on the Lower East Side and another property in the Catskills. Under the direction of their therapist, the Sullivanians were trying to create a utopian world based on principles of free love, collective living, self-actualization, and a commitment on socialism, still writes. Sol Newton was an educated in medicine or psychology. His third wife, Jane Pierce, was an MD who also did psychoanalytic training at New York City's famed White Institute, credentials which brought leg legitimacy to the Sullivan Institute she and Sol founded in 1957. Saul simply wrote on his wife's coattails in establishing the organization, but subsequently named himself director. The Sullivan Institute was named for Harry Stack Sullivan, a mentor of Jane Pierce, who believed traditional family dynamics had a detrimental effect on people. At the Sullivan Institute, Saul and Pierce took that belief further, preaching the nuclear family caused most psycho psychological problems for children, and that mothers inevitably squelched their children's vitality believing that traditional setup was bad for children and that parenthood was a kind of death trap from which both parents and child needed to be liberated, Pierce and Newton's Sullivanians 
were encouraged to violently expel their families from their lives. Saul egged one patient on to write her father and say she wished him dead the next week he was from a heart attack. Eschewing traditional homes, Sullivanians lived in large same-sex group apartments and had multiple sexual partners to not get caught up in the web of traditional families. If they had children, the Sullivanians were encouraged to let them be raised by babysitters or boarding schools to instead focus on their own personal growth. That lifestyle sounded good to a lot of people, including the singer Judy Collins. Starting in the early 60s, Collins was a Sullivanian for a good 15 years, and she was under no illusions as to why. I sure got a lot of mileage out of the Sullivanian belief that alcohol was good for anxiety and that having multiple sex partners was a political statement and a healthy lifestyle, she admits to still in the book. The novelist Richard Pierce was also a believer. Having moved to New York as a lonely grad student in the early 70s, Price found in the Sullivanians a large group of men eager to become friends and a revolving door of women willing to sleep with him. I felt like somebody had opened the gates of heaven, Price tells Still. Wanting to help their patients unleash the desires repressed in childhood, Sullivanians therapists preached that anything goes. That included both indiscriminate sex and that the indiscriminate use of alcohol as a creative lubricant. Jane Pierce herself was a heavy drinker who imbibed all day long, including in front of her patients during their sessions. The painter Jackson Pollock became a Sullivanian partly because the sect believed he should sleep with women other than his wife. Act out your sexual impulses, therapist Ralph Klein urged him. And Pollock, like that, no Sullivanians held his fondness for alcohol against him. In fact, when Jackson told Klein he might be drinking too much, his therapist didn't care. That's your problem, Klein said. Pollock ended up dead not long thereafter, the victim of his own drunken driving. If the Sullivan Institute had started out based on Jane Pierce's sincere psychological beliefs regarding the drawbacks of nuclear family and the benefits of a large social network of chumship, what the Sullivanians called adult friendships, over time it became something else. As the years passed, Sol Newton created a personality cult around himself and adopted an increasingly autocratic leadership style, still writes. When his doctor told Sol to give up his four-pack-a-day smoking routine, for example, Newton did so only after insisting every other day Sullivanian smoker kicked the habit too. Every one of them did. By the mid-1970s, Sol had divorced Jane Pierce and forced her out of the institute she helped found and legitimize. Instead, Newton put the two younger women who would become his fifth and sixth wives into positions of authority at the Institute. Under him, of course, Sullivanian therapists were just benign sounding boards for their patients either. Rather, they doled out specific life advice, which included telling their clients to break with their nuclear family, sleep with anyone who asked, and switch careers to make more money, i.e. in order to keep affording Sullivanian therapy. While the Sullivanian men relished the easy sex the group promised, many of the young women members were less enthusiastic about sleeping with any Sullivanian male who asked. Failing to do so got the women labeled as repressed or bourgeoisie, which was the last thing they wanted to hear. The result was a low-key pressure to just go along. Meanwhile, when one female Sullivanian had the audacity to complain about the sleep with whoever asked policy, her male therapist wasn't at all sympathetic. Shut your mouth and open your legs, he told her. Jane Pierce hadn't been much better as she advised one female patient her insecurities likely resulted because the woman wasn't promiscuous enough. Such harshness didn't occur only with regards to sex. When a young college grad named Michael Cohen joined the group in, early 19, in the early 1970s, his female therapist 
commented that his family photos were filled with fat, ugly, stupid Jews. To further emphasize Cohen's uselessness, she insisted Michael couldn't give up sessions with her or he'd end up in a mental hospital, dead or in prison. Somehow Cohen believed her. I became dependent on her in a way that's very hard to describe, he tells Still. It was a central tenet of the Sylvanian therapist insisting their patients could make it on, couldn't make it on their own without this therapy. No Sylvanian therapist was worse than Saul Newton, who for decades doled out life advice to unwitting patients even though he lacked credentials and qualifications. He was also a sexual predator. Saul frequently demanded that his female patients perform oral sex on him during their sessions and then expected them to pay him for his time, still writes. That might not have been the worst of it. One young girl claimed Saul sexually assaulted her when she was only 11 years old. He was a serial rapist, Cohen concedes. By the mid-1980s, the Sylvanians were on their last legs. Saul was near 80 and suffering the beginnings of dementia. The Village Voice published an expose on a group and four of the Institute's professionally credentialed therapists were facing numerous charges. A headline-grabbing news story featuring a Sylvanian mother kidnapping her old child back from the group didn't help. With Saul's death in 1991, the Sullivan Institute for Research in Psychoanalysis was officially dissolved. For Michael Cohen, it was time. He'd come to realize the Sullivan Institute he joined in the pursuit of a new way of life was mostly a means for Saul to milk its members for money and use them for sex. I joined a movement that turned into a business that became a racket, Cohen says. Saul Newton wouldn't have disagreed. Because the Sylvanians included so many creative types, Newton was once asked if he was an artist too. Saul answered in the affirmative. Yeah, a bullshit artist, he admitted. So there you have it. What therapists actually do. Not every therapist, but this is a, this is a horrible story. Um, what are the, you know, what, obviously it's one scumbag that kind of used everybody and got his way. But people fall into these traps of you see someone that calls himself a quote-unquote expert and you believe them. Always do your own research. Over time, as humans, we do something that we think is right, and then the further time moves on, we look back and it's like, oh, that was not right. So it's like we have to just don't believe experts right away. There's If somebody's trying to sell you something, it's probably too good to be true if this guy's like hey this is a therapy where we just have sex anything goes it's good be like eh, it sounds too good to be true but obviously it was very successful they had properties they had buildings it was 500 of them and you know you get i don't know how people get caught up in this stuff the more and more I look at it, like the 1960s and the free love movement, it doesn't seem like it was a positive for humanity. Like these people were talking about, you know, the nuclear family is bad. Write your father and wish he was, wish him you were dead. He was dead, and the and the girl's father died probably from a broken heart. No parent wants to hear that from the kids. These, you know. And you could see it still carrying it out now. Like the nuclear family's bad. Like it has to be either, uh, you know, some kind of crazy family thing that it's okay. But if it's just a plain woman and man to have a family, it's like, ah, you're bad or that's traditional and it's no good. And it's no wonder why people now are acting just like crazy people and there's no respect and there's no awareness. It's just do whatever you want.
It, 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 this is where it all stems from. You get your morals and, and ethics kind of from your family. And I'm going to say, yes, there are messed up families. Of course, not everything's perfect. But when you have some sort of a structure at home, uh, there's some authority figure, you're less likely just to be th th crazy. Do kids rebel? Of course kids rebel. But to a certain extent that things are going on now, it's just like you don't, you know, I liked, I, I rebelled. I like to do crazy stuff too. But it was like there was a, a limit kind of. And, you know, when things got too far, you were able to say, hey, this is kind of like out of control and maybe I should stop. And look at the artist, uh, Jackson Pollock went to the therapist guy and he's like, hey, my drinking's worrying him. My, my, my drinking might be a problem. And the therapist's like, nah, it's all right. No, that's, that's, that's nothing. And the guy dies in like a car accident, drunk driving. I mean, this is not, you know, the scary part is, is that there's probably still sick people like this that are therapists or, or know how to manipulate people. Uh, that's why it's, it's very, do your research. Don't just, you know, if you need therapy, go to therapy, but focused when people are telling you to like, leave your family, if you're in an abusive relationship or there's stuff going on, yeah, you don't, you don't just like kind of, you kind of handle it in a different way. But if you're from a regular family and you're still going through some stuff and somebody's like, Hey, just leave your family. Like that's, that's why you're messed up. Uh, maybe find another therapist. Look, second opinions always matter in any health matter, mental or physical. Don't just like a lot of people do that now. They get a doctor and they just sit. Get two. Get two opinions. Get three opinions for whatever it is, because that's you might you know if three opinions sound the same, then you're like, all right, this is probably the issue. But if they kind of differ then you got to figure out which one's wrong, which one's more, and you keep getting more opinions. And then finally you'll find somebody that's kind of on the right path. And the scary part also is, is now, so if you have like a generation that grows up in the 60s with like this free love, and down the line you see that it's kind of not working out for society in general, it wasn't the right move, somebody should start saying, hey, we should do family and maybe religion it was okay and you know but no one's saying that very few people are saying that nowadays it, it's kind of just they just opened up the throttle more and it with the craziness and the wokeness and the schools and and the sexuality being uh, taught to kids uh, underage kids that have no business learning about that stuff it's like these same people. It's like, whatever, anything goes. You want to have sex, have sex with whoever you want or whatever you want. There's no, nobody's throttling back saying, hey, let's, uh, you know, maybe the marriage nuclear family model wasn't so bad. Things, people are getting out of control. You know, society's kind of deteriorating very quickly as we, as we see. And we should start now because this stuff takes time to, to implement, to, to take root to kind of change things back if if that's even possible because you know now it, it, bad enough as a society in america it was kind of uh, iffy and now you're letting in all these illegals which are pretty much yeah you you have broken up families people want to go here a lot of these people that are coming in are you know single uh single men that 
that what's that introducing into your society and and you know what kind of even though you know Latin American fa uh, countries are more conservative wise but who knows what who these people are from where they're from and what their background is so th that's another thing to add into the mix so that will do it for me on this episode. I'm your host, Anthony T. This is Static Podcast. You can reach me at staticpodcast.net. You could like, listen to other previous episodes. This is a value for value podcast. So what that means is I have no ads. I don't subscribe for dynamic ads. Uh, this, uh, if you get yourself a new podcast app, at newpodcastapps.com. These apps allow you to attach or connect with a Bitcoin wallet or Lightning wallet, and you can send boostergrams, which are Lightnings, are little Satoshis, which are little bits of Bitcoin. You can send those over. Um, I want to speak about what I want to speak about and issues and stuff, and there's no ads, and people are telling me I can't talk about it. And freedom of speech is still alive in this country, and we have to do whatever we can to preserve that so thank you for listening and i hope to see you next week